Hello, sir. What's going on? You there? Hey, I'm right here. How you doing? Uh, not too bad yourself. I'm getting there. It's been a week. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, no, I, all good. Um, I, um, uh, uh, I should probably update you on the, um, um, sense of existential dread that I had last week about, uh, you needing to, you know, you needing to talk me down from the ledge. <laughs> Actually, the funny thing was, uh, I was the first thing I was going to ask you is how, uh, how's it gone? Have you taken some alone time? Yeah, I did. I did. I, uh, I managed to get, uh, some time to just kind of go on a little drive and, and, uh, um, uh, kind of, I, I guess, uh, uh, blow out the, uh, blow out the exhaust, I guess would be the best way to put it. Well, how'd it so, go? How do you, how'd you feel afterward? Pretty good. Pretty good. Um, my steering wheel on the other hand, um, <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> okay. So I don't know if you know this, but, um, uh, one of my favorite bands, well, you know, I'm a big rush fan, but, right. um, but Genesis is one of my favorite bands of all time in the, and, and Phil Collins is the reason I ever got behind a drum set in the first place. I was going to ask which Genesis. I'm sorry. I was going to say which Genesis. Cause didn't they have like two or three different lead singers at a point? Well, yes, but Phil Collins has always been the drummer. Oh um, yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. yeah. So Peter Gabriel was the original lead singer and then um, Phil Collins. And then there was one album called calling all stations with a guy named Ray something or other. And it was utterly forgettable. Okay. Um, except for the song calling all stations, which I used as a theme for one of my characters for years. But um, if you've never heard the song, you should go hear it. Cause it's really good. Um, calling all stations, calling all stations. Yeah. I'll check it out. Um, yeah. And all the great songs in Genesis were always written by Mike or Tony. Um, every song that you can think of that wasn't an R and B classic. <laughs> right. You know, um, Tony Banks probably wrote mama. He wrote that. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, uh, what, uh, uh, home by the sea, Tony wrote that. I mean, okay. you know, you, you remember all the stuff you remember Tony wrote. So, um, <laughs> so they said, well, you know, um, Mike and Tony got together and said, we'll pluck a guy out of utter obscurity and, and make him the lead singer. And everyone went, yeah, that's great. Thanks. Can we have Phil back? <laughs> So, <laughs> so anyway, back to the story. So what's, uh, so about your steering wheel? Well, I, I am a guy who drums with a steering wheel. Uh, oh, so you're, you're a, you're a drumming driver. Yes. And I, I don't drum so much as beat the, the living shit out of my steering wheel when I need it. Um, and, um, yeah. Um, not that I've ever damaged the car cause you know, my hands will break before the steering wheel does, but, right. um, you know, but I, um, yeah, I just get on the, on the, uh, a two lane stretch of road down to the outer banks or whatever. Uh, that drive, like I said, that drive down to Knott's Island, mm -hmm. um, is, is almost, it's all two lane road. Right. So you go right. down that way and, and that's just, um, uh, that's almost meditational. And there's this, uh, there's this great spot that's a bridge um, where you're, you're in the McKay Island uh, Reserve. Right. And there's this bridge, and it's basically swamp on one side and the bay on the other. And the bay is, like, right there. You know, you, if, you, if you just, you know, if you just switch lanes, you're, you're getting wet, you know? So, uh, <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, and um, I, I just, you know, you just pull over to the side of the road there and just, you know, sit there for a while. Uh, and just watch the, you know, just watch the waves. And, and is that's that what great. you did? Yeah. You know, um, and, uh, um, 
what I, what I really wanted to do and I realized I didn't have enough time to do it is get down and get on the ferry that goes from Knott's Island to uh, Currituck um, uh, across oh, wow, the way. Yeah. That's about a 45 minute ride. Right. I haven't ridden that thing in forever. Oh yeah. And it's great. I've done it once. Um, but uh, that would be fantastic uh, just to take that and just to just, you know, chill out, you know, and uh, right. Uh, there you go. So yeah, I managed to get out and do a, uh, get, get a ride in and, uh, and but only, uh, just, so only the one or. On a couple, you know, okay. I mean, I went, I, I went down to Knott's Island. I, um, I uh, did the, uh, what I call uh, around the horn, which is down to down Laskin road to uh, Atlantic Avenue, mm-hmm. turn left, go all the way around Fort story back to uh, independence and uh, back to the house. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, um, and that's, you know, uh, and independence comes up to Lynn Haven Parkway at some point and you just, you know. Yeah. And that can be an actual, that's, that's a good 30 minutes to an hour, depending on the traffic. Yep. There is. And that's that great trip over the Lesnar bridge. And yeah. Uh, yeah. And you can, you know, out in the Bay and you can see the Chesapeake Bay bridge tunnel out in the distance. And uh, um, yeah. So, um, and that's the other quote unquote meditational drive I like to take on a nice sunny day is, is, um, you know, I wish it just didn't cost so much, but um, you know, take the bridge, you know, take the, yeah. take the Chesapeake Bay Bridge tunnel. And it's like what, 20 so, bucks now. Oh God. I haven't been up. Uh, I haven't taken it in a while. Uh, but I would assume, yeah, it's like 20 bucks, but is it 20, it's 20 bucks both ways. If you come back within 24 hours, right? Well, it's, it's 21 way, but if you come back within 24 hours, it's 10. Something oh, it's like okay. That. Yeah. So, well, yeah. what's the verdict? Were they, uh, do you, did you feel, better or how, how did it help you with your existential dread? Uh, it's well, you know, it, 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 um, uh, it doesn't seep in, uh, as fast, uh, <laughs> you know, um, yeah, I, I, I see this comic in my head of this mm-hmm. one stick character with a face on it and says, trying to don't let the existential dread in. And you just, it gets a close up on his face and it's sweating. He's like, don't let it in. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but that's kind of like what's funny about that is. So you sent me that uh, Alan Moore uh, quote earlier about conspiracy theorists. Mm -hmm. It's funny that you sent me that because uh, it reminds me a lot of existentialism where everybody talks about the absurd. And the absurd is basically there is no meaning to life. The thought that there is a meaning in life and there's a purpose to life outside of what we give it is an absurd thought. You know, the universe is chaotic and random. Conspiracy theorists, that's their purpose is conspiracy conspiracies. You know, they kind of offload conspiracies. But that thought of don't let the uh, the the dread, in, the existential dread in, it's kind of like that. Uh, what do they call that phenomenon? Um, white elephant. The more you think about something, the more it's going to stand out in your mind. So if you're constantly thinking about don't let the existential dread in, don't let the existential dread in, it's just going to build it up even more. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you just find something else to do, you know, but uh, uh, I always thought um, I always thought um, the chaos and the and nothing means nothing and all that was uh, was it it's nihilism. I never know how to pronounce that one. Yeah, uh, there's, uh, uh, there's nihilism, which is like nothing means anything. But I think nihilist people that call themselves nihilists it, are defeatists or fatalists. You know, it's like nothing means anything. We're all going to die, you know. Um, so no matter what, everything's going to die. It's not that nothing means nothing. It just means we're all they, they, they think of it. They look at it more like we're all going to die. Like, I think a, a true nihilist would just do whatever the fuck they wanted because nothing means anything. 
So whatever, gotcha. yeah, I, I think a true nihilist would literally do whatever they want. You know, you know, we might call him a psychopath, but uh, I was going to ask, does that give them like, you know, that that's their excuse for being uh, uh, you know, sociopathic or amoral, I guess. Would be well, way. no, I think, I, I think with a nihilist um, and I don't know any nihilists, I don't, I don't know anybody I would consider a true nihilist. You know, everybody I think that believes in nihilism are more or less fatalists, which is we're all going to die. Everything's going to end. Therefore, nothing we do has any meaning after we die, shit like that. But a true nihilist, I think, is, you know, they can still feel happiness. They can still feel pain. You know, they can still respond to those things. So they're not going to go out and randomly kill people because they're still going to end up in jail. You know, and (laughs) they might. Yeah, sure. Nothing means anything. But here you are in jail suffering for what you did. So and again, it goes back to existentialism. It's like, you know, there is no meaning in life, but what you give it. So, and it's actually a, it's a funny thing I've been thinking about lately with a lot of the stuff that I've been going through, um, that whole, um, Buddhism, Taoism, existentialism, stoicism, that, um, you give meaning to the world around you type deal. Is that almost like, well, not solipsism. Solipsism is, is the belief that everything outside your meat bucket is actually, um, doesn't exist. Right. Yeah. Solipsism, uh, ideal. Oh yeah. Solipsism, idealism, stuff stuff like that. It's like everything around the world is created by your own mind. Um, kind of, uh, which again is another interesting, uh, thought experiment, but no, I'm more or less in the, in the realm, like right now, like, uh, nothing pisses me off. So when I'm at work and we're just getting hammered and, you know, ticket, the, the ticket printer's going off and it's just, endless and mind numbing and the the stress is piling on like the past couple of weeks have been very like, okay, whatever. Here we go. Let's do it again. Fuck it. But that's, that's, that's stoicism more than anything else. I mean, you choose how to react to something. This is, this is just, this is just happening. Right. So I've become more stoic with it and, and, and Buddhist with it. Uh, But oddly get off my lawn. (laughs) Uh, so i have a friend of mine and we were talking one day and it's actually right before service and we were just goofing around and she said the most beautiful saying and i think it's a great saying for service industry people and i want to get shirts made up for service industry people or stickers at least and basically what she said is you can't get weeded if you don't give a shit got a point (laughs) I, i thought about it and I thought about it. We talked about it. I was like, that is actually the most apropos thing you could say to a restaurant person is like, when you get weeded, what, what, what causes you that, that's that, um, Oh God, it's like getting in quicksand from the replacements. You know, you, you start bogging down and everything starts building up, but if you don't give a shit, yeah, I mean, nothing's going to build up. I was talking to one of my, uh, one of my best friends, uh, uh, uh ginger, um, mm-hmm. and, um, we kind of came across almost the same line. And I think you and I are in the same place here that I think the perfect end point of ourselves as human beings is some sort of amalgam of Zen pirate, stoic asshole. Yes. (laughs) I I would agree with all of those. I would, I would take out Zen and stoic and just put philosopher. That works for me. I'm just, you know, 
Um, I got to work the pirate in somehow. But yeah. Well, first off, I, I love the pirate aspect to it because the pirate aspect, I mean, and that's, that's another thing I've thought about as well with uh, some other stuff. I was, some of other projects I was working on were that, chaotic outlaw you know archetype so like pirates cowboys um things of that nature you know the rough and tumble you know live your life do what it takes kind of kind of a persona non-conformist non-conformist yeah speaking of which have you watched the pirate documentary series on netflix yet no oh it's good what well i don't have netflix i i uh oh you know no, I actually got rid of it uh, right around the beginning of the year, but there's been some stuff showing up on Netflix lately that make me want to maybe get it back. Talk to me about this pirate documentary. So Netflix has released two so far. I think there's a third one. Anyway, uh, the first one, I, uh, first documentary series I watched was about the samurai and it was the fight for Japan. And it talked about the rise of the samurai during um, oh, the I think this is called the Edo period. I can't remember exactly. And it, it covers a couple hundred years and it talks about how the samurai came to be and how um, the, how oh was that dynasty? The last, di- the, the, the first dynasty or whatever that, that brought all the states together. And then I thought after that, they did a pirate one and the pirate documentary starts um, in the Caribbean. So, like with most things, I didn't pay a lot of attention to a lot of the specifics. I love the swashbuckling and the storytelling. So I forget the name of the original pirates, but they talk about in the Caribbean how privateers after the war, uh, the war of 1812, I think. Uh, I can't remember the exact war. Um, we're now without income because uh, Britain is no longer at war with France and Spain. Right. And... Therefore, these privateers that had licenses to basically be pirates on behalf of Britain no longer have legal authority to do so. And these are able-bodied seamen with fighting skills. And this return to legal normalcy is they're being put under, uh, they're basically working class people that are now trying to make it through the world and all these upper crust aristocracy in the Caribbean are pretty much taking everything from themselves. Yep. So one, one guy, uh, I don't remember his name, basically starts a pirate city. And that starts the series and it talks about him and it talks about this other, uh, this aristocrat who was a privateer during the war, but after the war, he went back to his plantations and everything. And then how he, becomes a pirate hunter essentially woods rogers huh woods rogers yes i think that's right i think Mm -hmm. think yeah and how he becomes basically a privateer towards pirates but once that doesn't work out for him he basically starts attacking spain and becomes a pirate um but it talks about them it talks about this guy that comes down from massachusetts uh talks about a few other people talks about uh women in piracy Mm, uh, which Bonnie. I thought was yeah, uh-huh. and, and Bonnie. Bonnie, yeah, she's in the she's there in, towards the end. But what's really cool is I'm trying to remember the name of the pirate that did this. But there was a pirate, so a lot of the ships that went through the Caribbean were part of the slave trade, right? You know, they were coming over from Africa with the slaves, and they were taking the uh, molasses, or they were making rum, taking it up into the states. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the triangle. He was raiding pirate ships freeing the slaves and telling them you can crew for me 
or you can have your freedom. They, a lot of them were choosing to crew for him. And what was so brilliant about his strategy, it was psychological. He would come up on ships and have uh, his former slave crew members strip naked. And they would scream, yell, hoot and holler to intimidate the ships they were coming on, coming, uh, coming to. And as, if you're a, if you're a, a slaver that is hauling a ship full of slaves and here comes a pirate ship of wild eyed, naked former slaves, that I, I'm not gonna lie, that would probably sh- you would probably shit your pants. Probably. God, that sounds so familiar, though. But I mean, so you're talking it, it, about you're talking about New Providence and um, well, either New Providence or Port Royal. Uh, Port Royal. Yeah. Port, yeah. Port Royal was uh, I remember Port Royal talking about. Yeah. You know, I should probably take notes when I start watching shit from here on out. Um, but anyway, it, it's nothing in the these documentaries are new information, but the story, like tying it all together and telling the various stories is what made it really engaging. So I'm, I'm going to say one thing that I am, I'm uh, noticing here is, mm-hmm. so I was trying to do a Google search for um, what you were mentioning just now about the, uh, the, uh, the pirate that had all their, uh, all the, uh, you know, strip naked and scream right. and, and sleep. I, I, so I, um, I tried to do a, a Google search of uh, pirate naked slavers. <laughs> oh God, this would be interesting. Don't, I, I beg you not to do that. <laughs> <laughs> because you know what comes up the first item on my list bdsm fetish pirate slave girls naked <laughs> okay interesting naked slaves of pirate yeah it's it's all it's all um um actually the, i think the fifth one down cultural constructions of piracy during the crisis over slavery um mm-hmm. yeah oh i see that one on here now yep so yeah, yeah. oh they but, talk about blackbeard uh, Blackbeard actually shows up in this documentary and how he went from uh, just like a regular sailor to be in the wild eyed, crazy Blackbeard. Mm-hmm. So he shows up in the documentary. Yeah, I'm trying to remember what everything was about it, but uh, but mainly I remember being, well, rather inebriated uh, <laughs> and just being enthralled because I've always enjoyed that mythology you know the piracy mythology the cowboy mythology the samurai mythology like all these different stories and histories and mythologies around these various um cultures i guess and they all have one tying thing in common more than anything else um outlaws for lack of a better way to put it well not the samurai uh, the samurai had ronin but right but they all had um while they may have been, and samurais were not necessarily nonconformists, but you could say that cowboys and and obviously pirates are, but right. they had a code. Um, well, yeah, I think definitely of, of some sort or another. The co- the code is probably the best way of saying it. Like it was uh, like samurai, and then the, yeah, the knights, like English knights, French knights, the cheva- uh, what they call them, the chevalier, um, samurai. Uh, there is a Russian. There's a Russian counterpart as well. Uh, the Aztecs had, you know, the warriors that had a strict code. Um, but yeah. 
you know, but I think that, you know, it, and again, especially with pirates, I mean, it, it, it varied from captain to captain, um, crew to crew. And, and the code was bendable in some ways. Well, first off, Barbosa and Pirates of the Caribbean said it best. The pirate code is more like guidelines, right? <laughs> which any middle manager will tell you, which is why I hate that line. <laughs> so the guy that founded the pirate city, he's the one that came up with that pirate code, the, the actual one. And one of the beautiful things about it was every ship is a democracy. And it actually happens a couple of times. Uh, they talk about it happening a couple of times where, yes, there is a captain of the ship, but the captain doesn't really lead the ship. The, the captain is more or less a tactical um, the tactical mind on the ship, but right. what they do and what they go after and what they do afterward is left to the crew. It's a democracy. It's a true yeah. democracy. And if the captain isn't doing good enough, you could vote him off the ship and exactly. elect a new captain and they elect a new captain. And they actually talked about, uh, there was one story. Don't again, don't remember the captain. Uh, they had just gotten done um, raiding a ship. And afterward, the captain like, let's let the ship go. Well, the crew voted and they voted to blow up the ship, like sink it. And the captain was like, all right, well, you know, I wanted to do this, but this other crew voted. So, yeah, pirates definitely had a true democracy. Yep. And I mean, it was a true anar anarchy as well. So it, it did lead to leadership by charisma. Well, yeah, if you look at people like uh, Charles Vane, um, uh, who was, you know, uh, by all accounts, animalistic. But um, he was uh, uh, Charles Vane had um, a, a great hold over his men. Uh, mm -hmm. Calico Jack Rackham uh, as well, who was um, uh, he 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 uh, came up under Charles Vane uh, and then got his own uh, ship at one point. The um, skull and crossbones, the skull and swords, actually, the cross swords that you see that most mm -hmm. people call the Jolly Roger today is right. Calico Jack Rackham's flag. Gotcha. Um, and um uh, and they all came up as part of uh, New Providence, which um, I think is probably the city that you're talking they, about. And it's something more familiar than what you're talking about. And like I said, one of these days I'll, I'll watch something sober and remember a lot more. But uh, <laughs> Calico Jack sounds familiar. I want to say I remember that name. Yep. It, uh, he was, but I also uh, watched this. God, I probably watched this documentary before the last time we spoke. It's over a month. Ah. I don't know. We, I just, yeah, yeah, this is kind of my jam. So I, uh, I, um, um, what is it about pirates that, that you like? Is it the nonconformist thing? Um, I'll tell you where it starts. My dad was in the Navy. Naturally, I was going to be a pirate. <laughs> okay. Okay. But, um, yeah, there, um, I think, I think the start of it for me, well, that was, there was that, of course, because, you mm -hmm. know, um, but, um, I remember a saying, uh, you know, being a, a sort of a tech bro from from uh, way back a little bit. Um, there was an old thing about Steve Jobs um, a saying that, you know, why do you want to, you know, why do you want to be in the Navy when you can be a pirate? And uh, True. I'm paraphrasing that, but, you know, um, and it, 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 it that was kind of a jumping off point for me. And, and um, being somebody who's lived near the ocean all my life, um, you know, there's a history there. Right. And um then you fall into Jimmy Buffett songs and joke, kind of. Um, what is it, A Pirate's Life at 40? Is that the name of the song? A Pirate Looks at 40, yeah. Yeah. Um, but he has his life, you know, he writes basically songs that are almost autobiographical at times. And he's, you know, he did 
he was a smuggler. Um, and uh, he did, you know, he did some rum running and he did some, you know, smuggled some grass from, you know, Jamaica and, you know, the Caribbean and things like that. But Jimmy Buffett, never. Yeah. yeah. Never. There's <laughs> a great song called Jamaica Mistaka. And uh, if you find that, it's a story. <laughs> Story about him getting held up by the Jamaican I will say this about pirates. Pirates have never gone away. I love how everybody like reinvents piracy. Um, so what? back in the 60s and 70s, you had pirate radio, mm-hmm. which was a great movie, by the way. I uh, loved it. Yeah. And it was kind of like a well, fuck you to the British government. And then when I was growing up in the 90s, we had online piracy. We had, uh, what was it, Wares? With a Z, because it was oh, cool. God. Z, and then Pirate Bay was a big thing till about 2014, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, you still see pirate people. You still see pirates online. People, you know, to this day that are online, you know, that call themselves pirates in some form or another. So and I always uh, wonder, you know, if it, you know, are you are real? Are you really? I guess it evolves, but you know, I'm I've always hearkened back to you know the the real the real mindset isn't uh, is a um, the real mindset comes back to, you know, the, uh, the 1700s. You know, I, I, I want to say piracy as if we, were, if we were to boil down piracy to a mindset or an ethos, I, I think you're right with the nonconformist because um, most people that are pirates usually are not coming from a position of power. They're, they're coming from a position, a disadvantaged position. Um, but what they have are usually skill sets mm-hmm. that give them power or they have a mindset that gives them leverage or just a willingness to do things to get things done. There is a there is a an, uh, an ethos that says, yeah, you know, we're going to we, we need to do this for ourselves. But there is another thing where they'd say, you know what? I don't have to participate in your bullshit. Mm-hmm. I can opt out. And yes. I'm, you can go and take care of your own shit over there and you can just watch your own world die over here. I'm going to create a little something over here. And if anybody else wants to join me, that's great. But I'm over here, dude. And I'm not taking part in your bullshit. That's kind of the, the 25 cent version of piracy is, is it's I'm going to do for my own. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I'm, I'm not you, know, you leave me alone. I'll leave you alone. Now, every once in a while, you may come a little closer to me than I would like, and I'm going to take all your fucking shit. Right. Uh, <laughs> and then kick your ass back on over to your side of the line, but I got your gold. Haha. <laughs> and, you know. Well, the only, thing, the, the only thing I want to add to that is, look, a pirate's life is very, can be very rewarding. It's also extremely rough. Yep. Because you're not conforming. It's, it's that trade-off. It's like, look, you can conform to a society as we are and, you know, live within its boundaries and and within its laws and do what you can to survive or advance within those laws. Or you can be a pirate. But if you're going to be a pirate, you're going to lose a lot of those wonderful amenities. You're going to have to build like pirates did. You have to build your own community from scratch. Mm -hmm. And for 20 or 25 years, I think, probably. I think, it, you know, for 24, 25 years, New Providence was the first functioning democracy in the Western Hemisphere, as far as I can tell, um, uh, outside the United States, at the very least. Well, um, the, the, let's, let's not, the United States is not a true democracy. No, no, it's not. A, it's a representative republic. But oh, I wasn't even going that far. Not everybody has a vote is how I was no, going. Or not. No, you got, 
Yeah, Georgia. Go. I'm just going to say. We're talking about that right now, aren't oh we? Oh, my God. So, after, so remember after the, at the end of the last podcast, it's like I'm getting ready to social media for a little bit? Yes. So I've been, what has it been, three weeks, four weeks? Yeah, so about four about, weeks. Yeah. About four weeks. So I haven't been actually up to date on a lot of news. And a lot of my podcasts uh, that I used to listen to for daily news, I haven't been listening to them. But I have been like catching glimpses. And I still log on to my, uh, if, I, if I'm at my laptop, I'll log on, check Facebook, catch up just real briefly. The shit I've been seeing coming out of Georgia and the, the, the backlash. Now, granted, a lot of it is performative, but the backlash coming out of Georgia and watching Georgia double down. Yeah. Everybody's going after Georgia. And like I said, a lot of it's performative, but Georgia is still just like, nope, we're not changing shit. In fact, we're going to, we're going to double down on this. We're going to, we're going to get behind it even more. Yeah. And then they do what most people do in that situation. Play victim. Where Delta, you know, <laughs> Oh my Delta, God. Delta's shitting on us. Coca-Cola shitting on us. Major league baseball shitting on us. Yeah. And it's, it's bullshit. And I, I, it, Somebody, I sent to somebody the other day um, and it came up and I was like, look, we're living in a time where you are, we're at an age, my friend. Uh, so I'm what? I'm almost 40. I'm 39. You're, you're, old, you're a little bit older than I am. I'm 50. You're a little bit older than I am. <laughs> my friend, she is the same age as I, we were talking and like, how do you think we can do this? And I was like, you know what? At this point, we're literally at the age where we just have to wait for people to die. Basically. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that, I think that's how real change goes. Cause you're going to have people that are going to kick and scream and fight to the bitter end. And there are people in Congress and they're in their seventies or eighties. And I was like, seriously, why are they still fucking politicians? Mm-hmm. But, um, you just have to wait for them to die. However, then on the other side of the spectrum, you have young politicians that are even crazier. You got, um, uh, was it Marjorie Green Taylor? Is that her name from yep. um, uh, Marjorie jo- Taylor Green? Yeah, yeah. yeah uh, Mar- I think Marjorie G- Taylor Green from Georgia. Uh, you got oh god, the 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 one that I've been trying to avoid, but he keeps popping up in my feed. Uh, Gates, Matt Gates. Yep. Well, he's got to, he's about to get blown out. The funniest thing about him is, and this is definitely a, a younger generation because Matt Gates is in his thirties, right? About, yeah. About, uh, I think he's in the 30s, yeah. Right. But he, it, the Venmo receipts. Did I lose you? If you are talking to me, I cannot hear you. Hang on just a second. Uh, something just happened. Oh, I had a whole bunch of stuff go, just stuff go south on me. Here, let's try that. Can you hear me now? Yes, I can. I'm sorry. I had something. Uh, my computer burped and my uh, my speakers, uh, uh, my headphones uh, went down. So. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Uh, no. Uh, so just to, just to reset, you were talking to a friend of yours that's about the same age as you. Right. And I was like, everybody's about we're at the point where politically, if you want to see any change, people have to die. Yeah. They just have to die and, and fall out. But then we have younger people coming up like Matt Gates that are running for office. And the funniest thing about Matt Gates and his entire thing is the Venmo receipts. <laughs> yes. Here's a guy. And by the way, he came out with like the Bill Clinton response. I have never been on websites. I never have. I ever gone to them websites. You know, it, if, <laughs> if he had actually said, I've never actually had sex, I might've believed him. I saw a clip 
of him talking to Tucker Carlson, yeah. where he implicated Tucker Carlson as well, because it was like, oh, he was like, oh yeah, I remember when I went to uh, my friend. Like he doesn't say who it was, but the Im- the implication is the girl that he's being accused of dating when she was seventeen and taking her all over the place. It's like when I was, you know, when I went to dinner with you and your wife with my friend, and it's like the friend that you're currently under investigation for sex trafficking. Yeah. And I saw that clip and I just saw Tucker usually has this confused look on his face. Like, is that a fart or a shit? I can't, I just, you know, but then you just see his eyes just getting a little wider as, as Matt's talking. And I mean, he, I think he's like trying to think across the, the ether to Matt Gates. Will you shut up, man? First off, <laughs> you know? fuck Tucker Carlson because that's a whole new thing. You know what we need to bring back? And uh, there's a kid that's a bar back at my job, and I told him he needs to watch this clip. Remember the clip when John Stewart went on Crossfire? Remember Crossfire? I watched that entire show. It is one of the greatest things ever. The episode with John Stewart, but it's just John Stewart versus Tucker Carlson. And who was this? Uh, who was the other person? Was it what, uh, what's Paul, Bega- Paul Begala? Paul Begala. But the end of it, when they're trying to fuck with John Stewart and he's not having any of it, and, and Tucker Carlson's like, just say something funny. Say something funny. He's like, what? And he calls Tucker Carlson out on the bow tie. Remember the bow yep. tie? Yes. Oh my God! That's, we should, we need to bring that we need to bring that clip out of obscurity and back into the zeitgeist because that, if anything, puts Tucker Carlson in this place. I think at that entire show, like I said, that entire show where he's on, and it just starts with I'm just, I'm asking you all to stop. <laughs> right. Know? And, just you know, just just don't yeah. be better. And I just love the way he kept saying over and over, "You're." hurting america <laughs> that's slow yeah that's slow to, you're hurting us oh. um actually crossfire was probably during that time right when fox news was was starting to lean ultra conservative yep you know i i mean fox news has always had a weird conservative bent but for a while there them and cnn were kind of like on level playing fields and then they started going super conservative and MSNBC started going super liberal. And then CNN was like left in the middle going, we don't know what to do, but we got cool CGI graphics. Yep. And we got Wolf Blitzer. Yeah. Yeah. We got Wolf Blitzer. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. Uh, I'm trying to remember there was a guy in CNN uh, just because I didn't, I hadn't heard of Wolf Blitzer prior to the Gulf war when nobody had, you know, nobody actually watched CNN prior to that. And, um, uh, and real quick, just to make sure Anderson Cooper was on CNN as well. Right. Or yes. is on CNN. He is on CNN. Okay, cool. So, what are you saying? Uh, well, there was a guy, I can't remember his name. His Kent was his last name. Everybody called him the Scud Stud. The um, Scud Stud? Yeah. God, I can't remember. His last name was Kent, but that's the first time I'd ever heard of Wolf Blitzer. Um, and uh, uh, Tucker was on there. And I think Tucker got fired or he left as a result of that show with John Stewart, because that was actually just pretty close to the end of Crossfire, if not the last episode, because people were like, we can't come back from that. We right. just got buried. Oh, no, <laughs> you literally invited somebody on your show that was smarter than you, expecting them to be a comedian. And he actually showed you what he is all about, that when, he, when he's not trying to hide it under jokes. Yep. And he's like, yeah, well, yeah, yeah you have an obligation to actually be fair. My lead in is a show about puppets making crank calls. 
First off, Craig Yeagers was a great show. Adam Carolla, was it Adam Carolla and Jimmy Kimmel and shit like that? Sarah Silverman was on there. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. Like Craig Yeagers was Impractical Jokers before Impractical Jokers. Yeah, I, I think also wants to wait. Well, I'm actually a little further back in the ninety, right, nineties, early two thousands. There was a sh- uh, there was a bunch of guys called the Jerky Boys. Yeah, I remember um, those guys. I remember seeing yeah, a couple episodes. Yeah, and it was it was like that. It was the because uh, they had CDs that they put out before they were on TV. Um, and yeah, like I think the nineties, um, and they would, um, yeah, they would do exactly <laughs> the crank well, anchor stuff. And the first uh, first episode I ever saw of Crank Anchors is the one that probably everybody remembers. I got nails, yay! And um, uh, Special Ed, I guess, was the name of the character. And um, he just kept talking to somebody from AOL, and it's like, I got mail, and you keep hearing, you got mail, and I got mail, and just kept going in a vicious loop. And um, I heard that, and the first thing I thought of was Jerky Boys, and the second thing I thought of was Phil Hendry, if you've ever heard. You've probably heard me mention Phil Hendry before. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, Phil Hendry is, um, probably the, the, my, my radio hero, um, okay. because he does all the, uh, the voices and things like that, but same kind of thing. It's, uh, you know, you're, um, everybody's in on the joke, but you dude, <laughs> you know, right. So, yeah. Well, um, hold on real quick. Uh, yeah, yeah no, <sighs> No, it's, it's funny, like Crank Anchors, and I've been, I, the funny thing is I've been watching a lot of Impractical Jokes on YouTube because Impractical Jokers are fucking hilarious and they're crazy and they're insane. And I don't know how the fuck they're still friends. <laughs> but, you know, like Crank Anchors and shit like that, that was like, that was reality TV before reality TV was becoming a big thing. In a way. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and that was actually one other thing I wanted to talk to you about today was that mm-hmm. I've been, and, you know, Again, yeah, I'm a little older than you, but you probably remember uh, the first or second season of uh, MTV's Real World, The Real World. Um, I remember The Real World, and I remember Road Rules, and I remember a couple others, and I also remember I never got into it. I um I watched the first two seasons of The Real World and got it and was like, I don't need to see another one. Right. Um, The first one was... The first one was uh, it altered television. There's no way around it. It was 1992. Nobody had, had done anything like that before. Right. Real um, World was, and, was like the first reality show, like yeah. reality, reality show. Like everything is um, is a candid type deal. Yeah. And, and it was for its time. I mean, you know, because people hadn't grabbed a hold of this you know, horse and tried to ride it to death. Um, it was organically done. I mean, you, you literally put seven people, you, you know, you auditioned these people, but you know, when you, when it came down to it, you put them all in a loft in, in New York and filmed it. Um, and it was, um, it was compelling in a way Mm -hmm. Uh, it changed TV. And, and in one way it was absolutely groundbreaking because it was the start of something different. But now I think, you know, in hindsight, Yes, it was it was altering, but I think it's fucked up TV um, <laughs> for the same way that I think Marvel has kind of uh, and franchise movies in the past 20 years have fucked up movies. Um, you 
You find a formula that works and you beat the living fuck out of it until you people like me go, God damn it. No more, <laughs> you know, give me something different. Right. And that's it with reality TV. There's one show that if you can find it on TV uh, or on streaming services, I don't even know if they'll, if they have it anywhere, it was a rip on reality TV. It was a satire. What was it called? And it was called the Joe Schmo show. It was one of the first shows on Spike TV back in the day. <laughs> Spike. Yep. Wasn't um, Spike TNT trying to rebrand itself? Yes. Um, well, the Nashville network became Spike, which became TNT. <laughs> oh, okay. yeah. I, I knew TNT was in there somewhere. Yep. Um, the, it, it's, it's just, I just remember it being, do you remember the Nashville network? No, I do not. Oh God. It was, it was grand old Opry TV, buddy. Wow. <laughs> it was, it was country and Western TV as Nashville. It was, it was. Which is uh, funny because around that time, what was that in the eighties and nineties? Yep. And nineties yeah, country uh, music, Garth Brooks and all that shit. Trisha well, Yearwood. Oh, I was living in Texas. Trust me. I know all about it. Oh God. Tim McGraw, Alan Jackson, all those fucking things. Now, I, I could deal with Alan Jackson because Alan Jackson was still doing like Gulf and Western music, which is, you know, Jimmy Buffett. Yeah. And, I mean, I mean, growing up in Texas, you know, Garth Brooks was definitely big. Tim McGraw was definitely big. Uh, Trisha Yearwood, Dolly Parton. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the other people I listen to a lot of. You know, I mean, Buffett and Kenny Chesney and shit like that. But man, I'm trying to remember. There's a specific artist I'm trying to remember that for some reason will not. I cannot bring to my mind. Garth Brooks. Tim you know Brown. a song? George Strait. There we go. George Strait. Okay. And George Strait was like, George Strait was one of my favorite Western performers, country music singers at the time. Just because he was less flamboyant about it. Yeah, he just, because I'm, I'm coming out and doing my thing. Thanks for playing. Yeah, he was. I mean, oddly enough, he has a song called this, but he was a, a troubadour. He was he, he was a, a balladeer. Yep. So I just heard it the other day because um, I was watching an interview with The Undertaker, of all people. And he said that uh, <laughs> his favorite song was Troubadour. Really? Wait, wait, the Undertaker from WWE? Yeah. Yep. Holy shit. Well, you know, he's, he's retired now. So he's, you know, he's not, you know, dressed up in the, in the, in the, you know, the dark stuff anymore. He's uh um, sitting at home, <laughs> he, uh, he, uh, always wears like, you know, like a, like a snow hat, you know, those toques, you know, those things, right. <laughs> that stuff. And yeah. And he just talking, he's like, yeah, I love George Strait. Troubadour is my favorite song. Cause it was like, it's kind of like indicative of the end of my career where I'm, you know, my, um, that is interesting. Yeah. And, um, it's like, okay. Yeah. So I, I so I listened to it and I was like, yeah, okay. I kind of get that. Yeah. Huh. Gotcha. Yeah, you know, I was never a really good country guy because my, you know, my dad was from uh, Oklahoma and, and um, he was um, uh, Waylon and Willie and Jerry Jeff Walker, all those outlaw country guys. Yeah, I do. And, uh, uh, I hated him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's a, um, I watched an interview the other day. And it's an older, it's an older interview. And basically it was uh, with Snoop and Snoop revealed like the one person who ever smoked him out. Like he tapped out was Willie Nelson <laughs> and Willie Nelson and Snoop have a song about smoking weed. That's gotta be okay. 
It, and it is definitely like a low vibe song. It, it Get Stone, listen to it. It's beautiful. It's a great song. Uh, actually, hold on. Let me look up the title real, uh, real fast. I have it on my Spotify. I won't play it because don't want to get sued by anybody, obviously. Let's see. But yeah, he was, uh, I forget what clip I was watching. Uh, Roll Me Up is what it's called. <laughs> it's, okay. It's, it's called Roll Me Up, and it's got Willie Nelson, Snoop Dogg, Chris Christopherson, and Jamie Johnson. That's about right. And, yeah, you got to put Chris Christopherson in there, too. because Yeah, know. I think people forget about him. He's a, he's, a great, he's a great performer as well. And yeah. a great actor. Oh, yeah. Um, um, anybody who ever saw, you know, Blade for fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nah, he definitely plays that grumpy old man pretty fairly fucking well. Well, yeah, because he's not really acting. <laughs> he's <laughs> Chris Christopherson has been um, uh, uh, he's been out there on the uh, he's he's like the Christopher Walken of country music. He's uh, <laughs> he, wow. He's almost, like, he's almost like the Gary Busey of country music. He's, he's whoa, 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 whoa! Nobody is the Gary Busey of anything but Gary Busey. There is, that yeah. motherfucker is insane. God. Like that scene in Lethal Weapon where he puts the lighter under his arm. That's just Gary Busey being Gary Busey. I I always wondered if he because you know he he cracked his melon open uh, uh, years ago, right? Um, when he he had a motorcycle accident, he wasn't wearing a, a helmet, and he uh, uh, I, I always wondered how badly, um, you know, was he was he sane before that? And then part question. of me says he must not have been because he wasn't wearing a helmet on a fucking motorcycle, <laughs> you know. Well, I mean, I can lie in, in states that don't require it. I don't wear a helmet. Yeah. No. Well, yeah. I mean, it's to me, and it, it it's it's an argument that god how do i it yes it's yes it's a safety thing i'm willing to accept my consequences so if i get into an accident and i sustain damage to my head yes i take consequences of that for that however you never know what kind of accident you're going to be in uh, i had a friend of mine that was wearing his helmet and was involved in a very serious accident and he was on life support for uh two two and a half weeks and eventually succumbed to brain damage Mm. so the safety device is not a guarantee um and i would much rather people become better drivers and more conscientious drivers than thinking slapping uh two inches of foam on my head protected by um what is it quarter inch to an eighth inch thick piece of plastic i'm not relying on that i'm not relying on that helmet to protect me i'm relying on it to prevent you know further damage but i can't stop a severe accident from happening no but i mean if you go down on a bike you're gonna hurt yourself period i mean there's really no way Mm -hmm. around that um you know i've been thrown from my i i I remember uh, one time I i was wearing a helmet I was going around, uh, I think it's called Miller store road over by the Norfolk airport. Uh-huh. And it's got this long curve and I was on the inside lane, uh, turning and this car was coming from the opposite direction. So the turn was from my direction, right to left. And I'm on the inside lane from their direction. The turn is left to right or, uh, 
reverse that. I'm turning right. They're turning left, but they're on the outside lane. I'm on the inside lane. They're cutting the lane though. It's a two lane road and they're cutting the lane, which means they're encroaching on my lane. And I had a, I had a veer hard. I had to turn harder to avoid them by the time they saw me. However, to avoid going to the ditch, I had to overcorrect. And when I did, my bike wobbled and I shot straight into the ditch right across and got thrown. Oh God, probably 15 feet from my bike. Mm. Uh, landed on my shoulder. Uh, ended up, uh, I think my, when I pushed the bike home stupidly, um, but I had nothing, no damage to my head. I didn't hit my head. And I, let me see, type two separation on my shoulder, dislocated my thumb and limped for a little bit. Uh, there was that one. And then actually a year and a half ago, a year and a half ago, I had a guy pull out in front of me. I was going down the street. I was doing about 15 miles an hour. Guys at the stop sign didn't see me. Pulls right in front of me. T-boned him with my bike. Mm. And uh, so when I T-boned him, he was still traveling forward. So I hit him and my bike fell to the side. And I, I did hit my head on the ground. However, it wasn't very, it, I didn't hit it very hard. And the way I had hit it, if I wasn't wearing a helmet, my head would have never touched around. Because I, I, I just, I just when, I, when I immediately fell over, I kind of lifted my head up and it was the helmet that caused my head to hit the ground. Gotcha. Yeah. So helmets are, yes, I'm not saying don't wear a helmet. I'm saying if you're not going to wear a helmet, like if I'm in a state that doesn't require it, I accept that consequence. I accept that risk. Okay. And... I would much rather people f- stop focusing on the safety equipment and more st- and more attention on the causes of accidents. The seatbelts don't cause an accident. Roll bars don't cause accidents. They're there to protect you from accidents. Right. And I think a better way of, of solving the accidents would be better driver education and more conscientious people on the road. Because the way I like to describe most Americans is welcome to America where your bumper sticker says namaste, but your driving says asshole. <laughs> and I mean yeah. that. And I mean that from an actual experience I had where this person in a Prius, I, I look, I drive a truck. I drive a, a Ram 1500, you know, it's got dual exhaust Hemi. It's not a loud truck, but it's a truck. You know, it has decent gas lines. And here's this person in the Prius and they were fucking, I could see them moving up, just cutting people off, weaving in and out, braking hard, accelerating, braking, and just being a total danger on the fucking road. And they cut in front of me and their bumper sticker was literally namaste, coexist and something else. And some other fucking love, love one, love all sticker. I'm like, yeah, cool. You got that in your bumper sticker. You're driving like a piece of shit. And the first thing they would actually say to you, and you're just reminding me of an episode of Louie with a, uh, a woman that was heckling Louie when she was on stage. And she just kept saying, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. No, no, you're not really. You're not. <laughs> God, that reminds me of a, I think it's a, yeah, it's a Doug Stanhope bit. And I forgot, I don't remember it, but I remember Doug Stanhope doing a standup and this, and this woman's heckling him from the back. And he said something about her children and she's like, Oh, my son's in the military. And his response was, you know what? Congratulations. But thank you for his service. But if he's your fucking son, he's probably still an asshole. I, and there it is. 
Yes. And as, as somebody that has served in the military, I do not understand this weird idolization of military people because they come from society. And let me tell you, there are just as many assholes in the military with, with like a few heroes, with a few true, genuine people. I, I would I would tell you. Um, being a Navy brat and uh, mm-hmm. and um, uh, growing up around uh, uh, people that my dad knew and my dad mm-hmm. um, that, um, yeah, the asshole quotient is very high, in, in, at least in the Navy. Um, uh, here, uh, uh, Actually, different branch. Back around 1983, 1984, Clint Eastwood made a movie called Heartbreak Ridge. Yep, I remember it. And the Marine Corps was fully behind this movie. They supported it. They filmed it. It was at Camp Lejeune. They filmed everything. And then they saw the finished product. And they yanked their support from that movie faster than you could blink. And the reason why is because Clint got it right. Yeah. Um, that's, that, was what, that was what the Marine Corps and what the military was like in 1983. And the end of it, of course, is when we went to go knock over a fruit stand in the Caribbean called Grenada. <laughs> and, you know, because, well, America needed to win a war again because, you know, we, we, we did so well in Vietnam. So let's go knock over a, a fruit stand in the Caribbean. Right. Okay. Yeah. Make America. Great. And um, yeah. <laughs> No, and, and I'm not dogging on the military. Like I said, I, I I have some really good friends from the military and, you know, I've known some really good, the military has produced a lot of really great people, but this weird idolization of you're in the military, therefore you get automatic love and support. That's where I, I draw the line because not everybody is serving in a forward position. Not everybody is serving in combat, you know, and those people that are definitely deserve our support. And, but there are people I almost that t- have a, a, I almost have a, 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 a more profound respect for the folks in the rear with the beer and the gear. Yes and no, but the, there are people that take advantage of it. Yeah. And the other thing is this whole, I mean, if I get military spending is way out of control. Uh huh. And the reason we get that military spending is because the idolization of the military. Yes. Fuck it. I'll say, I'll just put it there. I have no problem with that statement. Um, when I was a guy in the uh, house of representatives for years named Barney Frank, he was the first openly gay, um, uh, member of the house of representatives. Mm -hmm. And he said, um, he had said, I would like to be, um, the third or fourth largest military in the world. We don't have to be first because, you know, the next 10 or 15 armies in the world are our allies, (laughs) you know? I remember, I remember reading about that. Like we outspend so many other people um, in military spending and everybody that we outspend, like the the closest 10 or 15 or whatever, like allies and shit like that, whatever, whatever the Jeff Bridger, uh, Jeff Bridges speech from the newsroom is. Oh, I love that one. he lo- he lays it out on there. Yes, I love that speech as well. Um, but being being in the military and then being a contractor for several years after that, I can tell you, we waste a lot of fucking money on personnel, equipment, and shit like that. We 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 have people in positions that don't need to have their position. We have people that are doing jobs that don't need to exist. Um, the um, 
Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I remember reading an article while I was still a contractor, even that um, people, when they, uh, because a lot of government contracts are, you have to bid on them. Yes. But uh, I read an article where people, contractors will bid on a contract and they factor in the cost of lobbying as part of their bid. I know for a fact that happens because that, that. No, uh, no. I know it happens as well. Yeah. I've seen, I've been at the table and it's just like, you've got to be fucking shitting me. My dad was part of a, um, the last four years of his Navy career and all of his private career after um, he worked for a particular project uh, in the Navy. It was a communication system. And um, when he got out of the Navy, he just basically jumped the fence from the Navy side of it to the company that was working with them. Oh, and that contract shifted over 24 years. It shifted four or five times to a couple of different people, but it got to the point where if you had the contract, you had Doug Rowley because Doug Rowley is the guy who's the expert on this. <laughs> you right. Know? And I've seen uh, lots of that. And there was actually a, quite a bit of time where uh, at certain commands, people would walk out one day in their uniform, their last day in the military, and they would walk out. The next day, they would walk right back to those doors in civilian uniform under contract. Yep. That. That's almost that's almost what happened when my dad was concerned. Um, he um, he retired the day I graduated from high school. And um, uh, he had I say retired, they, you know, he he got his stuff and made his speech and all that stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and he had 60 days of 60 days of terminal leave, I guess, something like that. He was home for a while. I really wanted to strangle him. <laughs> and um He's like, you know, why are you here? I'm, I'm 18 years old and really want to misbehave. And you're really harsh on my vibe right now. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm graduated right. from high school. This is like my shot. Right. Um, and um, yeah. And then he went back. Uh, he, he went back literally to the same building that he walked out of uh, in, in a, in a suit. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to say it's a bad thing doing that because yes, a lot of people that are getting in the military do have a lot of knowledge and yes, we should employ them if it's feasible, but it also creates this weird closed system loop where people towards the end of their careers start cultivating corporate relationships. Mm -hmm. And that is detrimental. So, I wonder how somebody, I think both you and I know um, uh, Alfredo Torres. Yeah, I know Alfredo. I'm uh, and, you know, he works as a person that helps people with transitioning now. Correct. Um, and um, I, uh, I see him post on LinkedIn every day. Um, oh, and, wow. Uh, wait, wait, wait. You, you actually use LinkedIn as a feasible social media network? Um, maybe. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay. there, are, there are people that are intelligent. Um, no, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying I signed up for LinkedIn once over a decade ago. Never have never done anything with it. I still get LinkedIn requests. I get um, I'm part of a, well, what used to be called Linda and now is LinkedIn learning. So I take some online classes to try to, you know, sharpen the saw. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but then I have people in my network that, you know, that I know. Um, and, uh, uh, 
and and some of them are, you know, I mean, uh, people that own their own businesses, of course, uh, things like that. Right. Um, there are people that are strictly on there to sell shit, which sometimes uh, rubs me the wrong way. Um, and I was, you remember last year, I was looking for a job. So, you know, um, LinkedIn is not a bad place to look for, for job postings. Um, right. I'm not, I'm not saying it is. Um, you know, because every other place that I go to look for a job, uh, Indeed, Monster, Career Builder, whatever you want to call them, I get so much fucking spam from you know. I kind, I kind of like the current way I look for jobs. Hey man, you know anybody hiring? Yeah, Service I'm about industry. ready to fire off an email to a podcast provider that is based in England, asking if they need somebody who does support over on the East Coast because I'd fucking love to do it. Hey. It, that's what, yeah, go for it. Fuck yeah. Speaking of which, are you work? How's your, uh, you've been working on a new project, right? Yes, I have. I have. Um, how is that coming to fruition? It's, it's going slowly. I have the first episode up. Uh, okay. and, um, and, and what's it called again? Two, well, there's two episodes. Uh, there's uh, our first one from last, last time. And then, um, my first episode of the new thing, uh, I put it up as a, uh, as a test. Um, and it's rolly. Uh, so if you go to, um, hold on. I will tell you right now because I have been increasing my uh, podcast diet. So, and I know I'm not the greatest at <laughs> actually following along on certain shit. So, so actually, if you go to Chris Rowley.com, K R I S Rowley.com, you will see the latest episode. It's called talk me down, Matt. Uh, I remember <laughs> seeing that I shared it because it was the first time I've actually self-promoted. I'm not very good at self-promotion. So, and yeah, so there is that, and there is a subscribe link on the player itself. And awesome. uh, the the um, platform that I'm using now is um, uh, a platform called Captivate. Um, and um, what is uh, Captivate is part of a company called Rebel Base Media, and they're based in the UK. And they is this a company are, that you're thinking about sending off an email to? <laughs> absolutely. Um, <laughs> and um, if you're listening, hi. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I am. Um, uh, so it's called Rebel I, Media. There's one thing that I think I know how to talk about um, somewhat intelligently. It's podcasting. Yes, you've been doing this for actually a rather long time. I want to say yep. uh, you've. I've known you at least doing this since 2012, if not longer. Yep, and I, I've been doing a podcast of one sort or another since 2006. I want to say, so I think the first time, I, the first time I was ever on a podcast with you was after that 37th Zen show I did when I was still doing uh, improv and shit. That was 2015. Yeah, I think that was around then. Mm -hmm. Right. And you had, uh, was that the, the no exits or what was the name of that podcast you had at the time? Um, one exit short. One exit short. Yeah. 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 Um, and that was, um, God, you know what that was about? That was, that was almost, I think one exit short is, it was very short lived, but it was very meaningful in that it kind of set a direction for me, mm -hmm. um, in the stuff I wanted to talk about, which was more life-based. Right. Um, because I think I've told you the story about one exit short. Um, yeah. it, it's, uh, and, and that was kind of like, how do you get to the right place? <laughs> you know? Well, it was one exit short to me in the way when I remember you were telling me about it, it was kind of like uh, Bugs Bunny's. We should have taken the left turn at Albuquerque. Yep. You know, it's, you, we got lost and here we are. 
how did we get to where we're at now? Yep. And God, it started, there was that, there was another kind of a satire show that I did of these. And it is half satire because I, I kind of meant a little bit of this. Mm. I had a character named Oliver Towns <laughs> all over Towns, um, which oh was his mentality. Uh, and it was called Now to Zen. Okay. And Oliver was was a guy who I didn't realize that this character was so closely related to uh, Chris Farley's Down by the River guy. Great character. Oh, I loved it. But I, I hadn't I didn't realize what it was because I'm not a I'm not a big Saturday Night Live guy. Right. And then I, I, I did a few episodes as Oliver Towns and then somebody sent me a clip of that character, Matt, something or other, Matt Foley, Matt. motivational speaker. And it is still one of this to this day, one of my favorite SNL clips. I couldn't stop laughing, but then I had to stop doing the character because it was like, that is so close to Oliver is so close to that, that I, I, there's really not a lot of daylight there. And I'm, I, um, uh, and yeah, okay, great artist steal, but you know, I don't necessarily consider myself a great artist. So <laughs> I'm like, yeah, try something else. Right. Uh, no, you've heard me talk about um all the self-help books and all that stuff that I've read over the course of years to try and develop a character. That was the character. Okay. So wait, wait, wait. Your your um Oliver Towns uh was a response to all the self-help books. So like uh the Tim not Tim, uh, Tim Ferriss and Mark Ronson. And uh, who's the Tim Robbins, that guy, Tony, Tony Robbins. Yeah. Tony Robbins. Uh, thank you. Yeah. Um, so I, uh, I'm, I'm I, had, I had, a, I had him do a thing where um, uh, at the end of a seminar, we, we walked across uh, 20 feet of Legos. Mm -hmm. And uh, <laughs> cause you know, Tony Robbins, big thing is walking on hot, hot coals. Hot fire coals. So here's the funny thing. I, I want to walk on hot coals. I want to do it once. Uh, but here, but I do know that it's psychosomatic. I know the science behind it. I know, you know, it will, as long as you walk calmly and brisk, not briskly, but as long as you walk calmly and not uh, linger, you're not going to burn your feet. But even having that knowledge of if you walk at a, a good pace, your feet will not burn because there will not be enough time because of the thermodynamics, it's not going to transfer the heat. Even knowing all that, staring at that, you're still going to sit there and go, I'm going to burn the fuck out of my feet. Yep. It's the same thing with, uh, I watched uh, one of those debunk shows and they debunked fire walking and they de debunked uh, walking on glass, breaking an arrow with your throat, like all these like confidence self confidence building exercises which i'm not doubting the 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 confidence building portion of it what i am doubting is a lot of these assholes that try to wrap it up in some kind of mystic or charismatic uh sense of uh overcoming things it's like look get get rid of all that shit and just be like look i can tell you right now if you walk straight and you walk at a good pace, you will not burn your feet. Do not be afraid and just walk. Now, I can't get you over your fear. That's you. Mm -hmm. So, but I would like to walk. I, I've never walked on fire. I want to. 
You realize in a weird way, we've actually circled back to the beginning of this podcast in an Ouroboros shaped way, right? Oh yeah. In fact, I, I think we've done the uh, podcast version of a Klein bottle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> By the way, yeah. I've, always, I've always wanted somebody to blow me a, a Klein bottle flask just so I could drink whiskey from it. Oh my God. You know, I might know a guy. <laughs> in that case, I, I, I know a guy who I worked with who, uh, a fantastic photographer. He did, he, uh, he used to, um, uh, 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 shoot, um, old straight edge punk bands, like the old oh, DC wow. punk scene. You remember it from, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. well, yeah. I don't remember the DC punk scene, but I've seen that, that style of like low resolution photography and shit like that. Action oh, photography. Sorry. Yeah. And, yeah. Black and, and this guy's really great. And, uh, um, friend of mine named Andy, also really into British synth pop too, which is kind of weird. <laughs> he shot the DC punk scene and he's in the British synth pop. Yeah. I mean, Hey man, you know, we all got a glitch, right? Uh, <laughs> but, and, and him and I could relate on um, early classic alternative uh, uh, because, you know, I mean, that's, that was what's what I early, listened to. In what's high early classic alternative to you? The Cure, Depeche Mode, Joy Division, New Order, uh, Psych Furs, okay. uh, Susie and the Banshees. You know. A lot of bands I probably can recognize if I heard them, but I don't know them off the top of my head. Oh, you know Depeche Mode. You got to. Well, I know Depeche Mode, but I can't sit here and li- Again, I don't pay a lot of attention to the shit I enjoy, usually because I'm drunk at it while I'm doing it. There is but a- yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which is, I'm not going to lie, I've tried being a better person. So I've tried uh, enjoying things, obviously with the pirate documentary that failed, but I've tried enjoying things and, and paying more attention to like who's producing it, who's writing it, who's directing it, like learning more about the creation of something that I'm enjoying and not just going, Oh, that was cool. All right, cool. What's next? You know, shit like that. So I am trying to go in the opposite direction. Okay. And, and here's why, because again, I'm a guy that can quote you Pink Floyd lyrics, chapter and verse, right? Mm-hmm. I can tell you just about, if I know something about Pink Floyd, I will spew it at you if, and about Rush, about Doctor Who, about a great many things. I will, I'm a sponge for that, uh, that stuff. But sometimes it actually keeps me from enjoying the show. Well, we talked about this um, on the last podcast. A little bit. Yeah. I, yeah. I remember that. And it's that, just that I, I want to get back to actually enjoying the story and not the nuts and bolts. I, you can, I think you can still enjoy the story without breaking it down. Um, as long as, long as you don't break it down to its component parts to decide whether or not they're worthy of being enjoyed. What I'm trying to do is the things that I'm watching and, and enjoying, I'm trying to learn about the people behind it out of respect for those people. Because, I don't have, yeah, that's fantastic. That and you should. Um, right. And, and that's just it. It's like, oh, cool. I enjoyed it. Fuck off. I'm going to go enjoy something else now. Whereas now I'm like, hey, you did something really good. I definitely want to know more of what you've done. But at the same time, I want to make sure I'm able to grant you recognition. That's totally, yeah, that's, that's a great thing to do. Uh, you know. Yeah. And that's why you should, like, if you're the kind of person that like dies and goes deep diving into things, that's why you should do it. You shouldn't learn about the, the nuts and bolts and the back end of things just so you can break down other things in comparison to them. But if you're knowing about those things and you're to do it and you're getting recognition of the people that are doing it, that I think is really, uh, um, 
that was the word I'm looking for. Uh, la, 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 la. I'll remember the word eventually. I, I blame my 11th grade English teacher for this. Uh, I argued with mine a lot. <laughs> I, I had a hippie. Oh, God, no, I had 11th grade. Where was I in 11th grade? I was in Texas. I was so. right here at First Colonial High School in Virginia Beach, and, and I had this guy that was a, um, uh, a hippie. Um, and um, <laughs> he, um, uh, he uh, uh, basically, 11th grade English in, here in Virginia Beach was all about transcendental liter- literature. So Ralph Walter oh Emerson and, you know, and Thoreau and, and stuff like that. And he he really dug deep into if I'm trying to remember the term correctly, it was like, you know, you need to actually get into the 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 writing, the elements of the writer. What were they thinking? When they wrote? Oh, yeah. This whole uh, thing is post-structuralism or whatever, where you have to analyze the text. Yeah, it's academic snobbery. Yeah. And yeah, he was, but also very, very and man. He came into class. And I could smell him coming about 30 feet away. <laughs> okay. Um, apparently lunch was just before our class. So he hopped out to the car for a little while and came back. And um, uh, yeah, it's like, okay, well, yeah, here he comes. Why? <laughs> Dude, you can't. <laughs> yeah, we're up. Wow. Uh, <laughs> you know. Open all the windows. Hit the fan. I was right by the window. As a matter of fact, one time he was so bad, I actually climbed out the window. <laughs> you know those windows, those long rectangular windows that opened outward? I do, actually. Yeah, you know, I, 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 could, I was so tiny at the time. I didn't crack 100 pounds till after I graduated high school. I was a tiny guy. I got that window open and I crawled out that window and stood outside the window for the rest of the class. Might have been 15 or 20 minutes, but I just and like no one I can't said take anything? it anymore. Hmm? And no one said anything? Well, what am I going to do? Run? <laughs> well, no. I'm I mean, 95 just, pounds. First off, I mean, nobody said anything because you're crawling out a window during class. So no one stops like, uh, Mr. Rowley, would you mind telling me what you're doing? I'm getting away from the dank, dude. That's what I said. <laughs> did he actually? I, I, okay. I literally looked at him before I did it. I said, I'm still here, but I'm going to be over there. And the reason I'm going to be over there is because I can't take you anymore. I've got to get out and get some. Why do you just ask him for a hit? Oh, God. That, to this day, the smell of that makes me throw up. Really? So you don't yeah. you don't partake? I don't. You know what? I understand that it's going to be legal here in a couple of months. A couple of months? And, it's going to be legal here. Oh, yeah, you're right. A couple of months, June 1st. Yep. And uh, I understand there are such things as edibles. Um, and I, I think that I might try something like that just to see what it's like. Um, but I've only ever done one drug in my life. <laughs> and Which that is? wasn't by choice. It was completely by accident. Um, and... Um, I'm, I'm not saying I'm not saying I wouldn't do it. I'm just saying that, you know, I'd rather be in control of that situation. And I know that I can't do that smell in me. Just don't get along. But I understand they make, and I don't know, like gummy bears. <laughs> you know, I will say, so I'm a recent, uh, my first experience uh, with anything was 32. So, uh, but I have definitely gone head first since. Um, 
It, it is an experience, and it's, it's you've you've tried it before, though, right? No, I've never I've never tried it before. I, I've only ever done one thing, and it was I dropped acid. Okay. Um, and I, I may have told you the story. Um, I, I went to the Jimi Hendrix Film Festival at the Narrow, mm-hmm. and it was all night. And I'm 18 years old. Okay. I wish the Narrow uh, still did nights like that. God, I God. loved it, man. All night. Uh, God, there was a Rocky and Bullwinkle Film Festival once. There was the Rocky Horror Picture Show every every month. Oh, love it! God, the Wall. They showed the Wall for fuck's sake in that giant movie. Fuck. Loved it. Um, and uh, there were some folks in front of me, and they were all wearing tie dye. And uh, I'm I'm really stupid. I'm eighteen. I'm stupid. And and I go because I'm a sucker for tie dye. I go, where'd you get that? They said the Philadelphia Show. And I knew enough to know that when you hear something like that, the Philadelphia show, they're talking about the Grateful Dead. So I said, the dead, right? And they said, yeah, okay. That's a clue. It went right over my head. (laughs) Probably would have went over my head as well. They are passing around a bottle of Mountain Dew. Ooh. Now, if you know anything about my past, I never turned down Mountain Dew. (laughs) No one. No one ever turns down Mountain Dew. Um. Mountain Dew is the reason I'm a diabetic. Okay. Um, so they handed me the bottle and I took a swig of the bottle and handed it back. And I was like, that's great. It's, it's fine. Thank you. Appreciate it. And maybe 20 minutes later, um, what it just kicked the fuck in. <laughs> and uh, I just kind of looked at him and said, what was in that bottle? And they looked at me and said, you don't know. I said, I think I do now. <laughs> you know. And yep. um, that was a that was a great night. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you never did it again. Oh, I didn't say that. <laughs> In that case, <laughs> no. um, uh, I've I done um, uh, uh, I, I read a lot of um, and listened to a lot of David Byrne and Talking Heads. And I realized very quickly that David Byrne uh, did a lot, a lot a lot of acid. Um, <laughs> and um, I was like, okay, um, let me try this. So yeah, I, I kind of, over that summer, uh, between 18 and 19, um, uh, over that year, actually, between 18 and 19, I, I, I did that a few times. Um, and I never had a bad experience. Um, I never had, um, you know, I never had a bad time with it. Um, it was always rather vivid and colorful and, and, you know, the things that they tell you about acid I, I experienced. And, and, um, uh, after, when I, um, uh, when I decided that it was like, you know what, I think I'm going to try to join the military. Um, I stopped doing it. <laughs> so, um, cause I realized that, yeah, they might not like me if they saw that stuff in me somewhere. So, um, I, uh, I stopped taking it. And, uh, luckily when they went to, you know, asked me to go pee in a cup, it didn't show up and that was months back. So it was out of my system. Um, but it doesn't show up in cup anyway, right? I, whether it did or I, I don't know if it does or not, but I sure as fuck worried about it. So, um, I was like, it's a drug and I'm about to pee in a cup. You know, remember I'm, I, I was a very stupid kid. So, um, uh, so anytime I'd heard something that this might happen or this mm-hmm. is going to happen or didn't, I, I kind of followed the, the rules on that. Another reason why piracy has gotten more and more appealing to me over the years <laughs> is, you know, at some point I just don't give a fuck. <laughs> so, 
All right. Back to Ouroboros, though. Oh, the Ouroboros, yes. Yeah, the the um the Tony Robbins people. Um, the the gurus. Yeah. Um, so I do know there's a documentary on Hulu I want to watch called uh about Tony Robbins called I Am Not Your Guru. Yes, I've watched it. Um, How is it? It's okay. Um, you'll get a, a definite idea of who he is, but remember that uh, it's very pro Tony Robbins. Oh, is it? Um, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's not. It's not the. Um, uh, it is not the objective look that you think it might be. Oh, okay. Is it like, let me ask this question. Is Tony Robbins a producer on the documentary? Probably. I can't remember off the top of my head, but um, they follow him through a week of what is probably the biggest event that he does in a year. Um, And it's, it's very, it's not unfriendly. Okay. I get best, best way to put it. I mean, they follow him and um, uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, um, I think he had quite a bit to do with it. Um, and I, I think it ended up being probably more of a, uh, an advertisement for what he does. Um, yeah. I mean, just and on that note, like with the Tony Robbins and the Mark Ronsons and um, the, Oh God, uh, Jordan Peterson's and who's an asshole by the way. Uh, and now all those weird self-help books, it's like they're, they're culling from, they are culling from a lot of like older techniques of like stoicism and Buddhism and existentialism and Taoism, you know, that whole uh, mindset, but they're repackaging it and they're selling it. And their only purpose to do that is to profit from it. Yes. I don't feel like they're helping anybody. They're just trying to profit, but you get these people that get caught up in it and are devoted to it. Cause I think Tony Robbins thing is a week long event, right? One of them. Yeah. It's like master uh, master years. I, I can't remember the name of it, but right. it's the, it's the big week long thing that he does. In, well, I think he does it. I think in Florida like if, 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 if all these self-help writers or all these people that do these um, self glorifications or whatever, were actually good at their job. They'd make no money. Yeah, no, you're right. But here's, here's the thing. Um, Self-help gurus are um, modern-day mainstream conspiracy theories. How so? Conspiracy theorists, as we had talked about at the beginning of the episode and what Alan Moore said in that, that quote that, we, uh, that I dropped you, conspiracy theories are bought by conspiracy theory wannabes, right? Because mm-hmm. that's how they make sense of the world. That's, that's how they reason, how they make sense of the world. The world makes sense to me now because I believe this thing. Yes. Okay? All right. So there's not a lot of daylight to me between the Illuminati and the five-second rule by Mel Robbins, for example. Right. Um, right. They are giving you a program that you, you're, you're, you're loading it and, and this makes the world make sense to you because I, di- I, I didn't get it before. I've read this book or I've, I saw this YouTube video or I did this and now it makes sense to me, you think, because I don't know, the word opiate for the masses comes to mind, but 
Well, I think we can explain the whole conspiracy theorist thing in, in regards to self-help if in very, I can do it in one word, religion. Yes. Religion is probably the world's largest conspiracy theory, but it's not a conspiracy theory that there, the whole belief that God might exist and uh, depending on your religion, uh, um, this is a conspiracy theory that's propagated and it's part of our tax tax code not yes <laughs> yes <laughs> i mean that's that's the biggest thing about it is like we've bought into this conspiracy for so long as part of our goddamn tax code um so <sighs> but th- th- the end result is is that again if you if you subscribe to the truth as alan moore saw it which is that no nothing makes sense the world is rudderless no one's in control. There are people out there that if they accept that as the truth, they're going off the rails, buddy, because they don't have anything. They, they, they need some sort of structure or some sort of control in their life. And if they realize, well, you know, shit, I'm sorry. This, this train is, is uh, uh, this train's hitting the wall at you know, 105 miles an hour. Um, you know, it's, they can't take that. So they, well, they need to find a reason. Uh, they need to find a code or some sort of program that says, okay, if I look at the world this way, it makes sense. So I'm going to go walk on hot coals at the end of a week here. And, and, and I'm going to figure out what I need to get my life together. Actually, I would say conspiracy theorists don't walk on coals. They eat the coals, but, <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. I mean, conspiracy theorists, they, they, don't have a way of they're looking for purpose in life. They're looking for a meaning of something. And a lot of them are jaded and a lot of them are, um, well, a lot of them are QAnon (laughs) or incels. I guess that's the, that's the term as well. Oh Uh, God. Incels. Oh, I, but they're, but they, but they need that. And what they're doing, they're just, God, they're just offloading their problems onto something else. Yes. And they don't conspiracy theorists don't want to face their problems. But again, religion is conspiracy conspiracy theory in that on that note. But not all religion is bad. Does that make sense? No, not all religion is bad. Um, uh, there are sects of religion that are that are just uh, what the fuck are you doing? Well, first off, <laughs> sex and religion is definitely bad. Yeah, there is that. Yeah. <laughs> Unless you're a televangelist. And then I'm kidding. No. Um, or Matt Gates. And <laughs> there are sections of religion. Um, uh, for instance, the very, very uber Catholic uh, uh, split off of, uh, of uh, uh, the, uh, the, the, the split off of uh, Roman Catholicism that uh, Mel Gibson is part of, for example. Is that Catholicism? Um, wow. Uh, I can't remember the name of it. Um, do you remember? Cause very, they still do the, they still do the mass in Latin, for example. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Um, do you remember, do you remember Catholicism? Wow. No, it's a very esoteric reference. It's a movie reference. I have to go find it now. Cause oh Dog- shit, buddy. Jesus. <laughs> Dogma. Dogma. Because, because George Carlin was a Cardinal Glick. Was that his name? Yes. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> Talk about a section of religion right there. Catholicism. Wow. Oh. Kind of gives it a little pizzazz. Cardinal, Cardinal Glick. That's right. 
Because I remember it's Cardinal Glick, and I remember laughing because I thought that was so close to um, uh, Cardinal Fang, um, which is from the Spanish Inquisition sketch, uh, sketch uh, Money Python. Cardinal Fang? Cardinal Fang. Cardinal Fang! Oh, I, I might not have seen that one. Oh, yeah. That might yeah, have been when, the it comes, when it comes to the topic. Inquisition, though, sketches, all I can think about is Mel Brooks' History of the World. The Inquisition. <laughs> what a show. What I was it? Tokamata. Tokamata. You can't talk about anything. I love that. I haven't seen it in years, but God, I got to go back and get this. There was another Mel Brooks movie called To Be or Not To Be that he did with his wife. Uh, where he ended up having to play Hitler. Oh, wow. On, it was a, they were a comedy or theater troupe, and he ended up having to be a double for Hitler somehow. It was one of those, you know, almost kind of like the Charlie Chaplin thing, the little dictator or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, without the, you know, the heart moving speech at the end. Right, right, right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, but um, yeah, my, my, the whole point behind all of this is that <laughs> <laughs> no segues. No segues. Um, if we need somehow for the world to make sense to us uh, and, and self-help people do that. Some self-help people are funny. Some are serious. Some are aggressive. Um, some are assholes like Jordan Peterson. Um, but a, a person that needs that direction in their life, they're walking down a, a, a supermarket aisle. Oh, there you go. Moscow on the Hudson. You're walking down the, the coffee aisle and, and all you're seeing is Folgers, Taster's Choice, coffee, coffee. And Robin Williams. And you know, there's so many flavors, and, but they're all the same thing. They're coffee. Self-help books say the same thing. It's the same formula. It's the same six or seven steps. What you're buying is the voice. What you're buying is the flavor. And the flavor is what makes sense to you. Does that, do, do you understand what I'm, where, where I'm going with that? Yes, I understand where you're going with that. And it does make sense. How, uh, but I mean, if Jordan Pearson, he's got 12 steps. Uh, <laughs> but I understand he needed 12 steps. I'm kidding. Right. <laughs> they're, they're preying on people's insecurities. And, yes. people, are, and people are insecure because they think that life needs meaning or they need to find their purpose in life and all what I'm coming to realize and I'm working on is it just accepting the world for what it is. Not just that, but this industry, um, if you look at it from another way is a grift. Um, well, it's an addiction. It, 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 you can't, if you get caught up in self-help, if you start taking a self-help seminar, you can't stop taking it. Because the people that fall prey to it are not, I, I, I want to say, are not charismatic. They, they don't have that driver motivation. Neither do I. But I'm just not, I'm too drunk to follow somebody else telling me what to do all the time. <laughs> um, it's, I just lost you, any, I just lost any fuck that I have to, to, to listen to anybody else. Tell me what the fuck is wrong. But how many people life? doing and, these seminars and shit are actually, you know, they take one, one or 10 seminars and they go, all right, I don't need this anymore. Nobody does. Nobody does. It's the same. No. And it, it's self-help is one portion of it. It's also, and 
you know, if I offend anybody with this, I apologize, but it's also the same problem with fucking therapy. Therapy yeah, is in a way to help I, I don't disagree with that. Yeah, no, no, I don't disagree with it. But therapy, therapy is supposed to help you deal with your issues and get over your issues and be somebody to talk to. I get that portion of it, but there's a lot of therapy that's not meant to help you. It's just meant to get you coming back because if you're not there, you don't feel validated. You don't feel justified. You don't feel like you've you've done anything. And as somebody and, that's gone through a lot of goddamn therapy, it's bullshit. <laughs> But it's the and same a, thing. And this is what, this I think what, what you're saying. <laughs> Hi, welcome. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, I think you're saying the same thing with therapy that I'm, I think I'm saying about self-help is that if you look at it from the standpoint of a grift, then the industry, the best interest of the people in that industry is to keep you convinced that you're not good enough. That um, you know, you're never going to be completely there. You're never going to have it completely together. But you know what? I, I, I can see that you got this part over here. OK, and this is cool. But you still have this glaring fucking error right over here, which, by the way, I have a class for. So if you know you want to give me about 250 bucks, I'd get you into that for about 16 weeks. And, and uh, you'll get that. And then uh, there's this one other thing over here. And, and, I'd, uh, and I'd like to run a CT scan and make sure that you can still piss in the cup. And I'm kidding. But there's always one extra thing. I, I would go a different route on it. I, I would actually, uh, I would actually state, you know, therapy and self-help and all that. The people that are looking for therapy and self-help are looking for somebody to validate themselves. They want somebody external, which is funny. It's called self-help. You're supposed right. to be helping yourself, but a lot of people that, that fall victim to it and pay over and over and over for seminars or therapy, they're just looking for somebody to validate them. Yes. They need somebody else to tell them it's okay or what they're doing is okay or what is good or what is not. And look, there are a lot of people that are going through really good therapy that is helping them a lot. It's helping them to work on trauma and, and explain their way through it. I get that. I am not, I am not knocking that kind of therapy whatsoever, but there are so many people that go to what I would consider frivolous therapy. And it seems more, um, Oh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It, 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 frivolous therapy. Like they go over and over to talk about shit because it seems it, it's more uh, recognized as an official thing versus self-help, which is unofficial. Right, I was going to say, this is basically a, acknowledge me. <laughs> right. You can either go to fucking school for six years or four years or whatever years it takes to become a licensed therapist, or you can become Tony Robbins. You know, by the way, life coaching has its own certification now. Yes, it does. And, and I look forward to just completely ripping the head off the next 20 some odd year old life coach that uh, uh, gets a hold of me. <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, I'm going to sound like such a jaded asshole right now, but you're 23 years old and you're a life coach. Fuck you. <laughs> you know, no, dude, no, no, yeah. you don't know. You're you want a life coach. You're, you're not on Mine's, my level. You want a life coach? Find a 70 year old on their deathbed. <laughs> That's a life coach. That's a life coach. Right. And he's sitting there. He's he's three packs a day. He's got half a lung left. He's wheezing. Right. He's taking a he's taking a puff off an oxygen mask and a drag off a cigarette at the same time. 
You know what? I don't Let me believe tell you I don't, about my life, son. First off, I don't believe in the monarchy, but Queen Elizabeth, that's a fucking life coach. She just out, well, God, she outlived her son who just passed, apparently. Her son? Prince well, her, her husband, died. Prince Philip, just oh. died. Oh, is it? Oh, God, is her husband. See, that yeah. shows how much attention I pay to things. That was her son. I thought it was Charles. No, Char- no Charles is still with us. Um, oh. Of course, remember, Elizabeth was 94. Philip was 99. Charles is like 72. Elizabeth is going to outlive everybody. Yep. Yep. I, 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 I kind of believe that. <laughs> Right. The uh, air, the, here, here, when she here. dies, the only person left on the planet is going to be Keith Richards, and he's going to be the king of England. <laughs> <laughs> oh, tell you what, here's some life advice. Do like me, make mistakes, acknowledge your mistakes, apologize for them, and try to do better. There you go. That's life in a nutshell. There Don't wait is. for somebody else to validate your actions. God. How much of us, how many people, Oh God. Cause this is where, I don't know. Cause I, I went to, I, I did some therapy when my, when my parents died. Mm. Um, and, um, uh, you know, you, my dad's relationship and I was pretty problematic. I think, I think that's fair to say. Right. Um, so I had to go through a little bit of therapy to kind of deal with that because yeah, you know, there are some issues there that, um, no, I didn't get the validation that I needed from my dad that, you know what? I, I, kind of done okay, you know? Um, and I know he was worried about me, you know, in, in the Doug Rolly way that he worried about anybody, uh, which is, you get your shit together yet? You know, that <laughs> basically, <laughs> but, you know, right. um, but there was, I, I didn't have, I didn't have a bad childhood. I didn't have a good one either. I, I had a childhood, you know, like, like people say, have a day. <laughs> you, know, right. you, you, you don't have a good day. Don't have a bad day. Just, just have a day. It's there. It exists. You know? mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I, uh, there's a line from a saliva song, you know, you won't hear any crying ass bitching for me, <laughs> you know, but I, I did have to saliva. Go, yeah. Saliva. You know what, you know, what the hell is wrong with oh. me? My mom. And oh dad no. Was, I remember saliva. I'm just, okay. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Look, I had a limp biscuit face. We're good. You know, let's let's pull that out of my ass. Yeah. Um, but I had to go through a little bit of shit. Right. Um, and um uh, some therapy's good, some's not so good. Um and where the fuck was I going? <laughs> I don't know. I went on a weird tirade against so I'm not gonna lie, my childhood was very rough. And a lot of it has to do with therapy. So this is a subject I will get very worked up about um, because I have a very jaded view of therapy. However, I understand therapy can do good. I as long as you're that. getting to the point where you're able to. Uh, Therapy You're able to take be, some tools there to be able to do it for yourself. You know, that you're. Um, therapy should have an end. Yes. And that end is that you're a functioning independent 
stable human being, I think would be, I don't know. I, I, I'm with the end point. Um, I mean, therapy, should, stable therapy is meant to help you work through your issues. Yes. And if, if you have a traumatic, if you have, if you have trauma in your past that you have never dealt with, therapy should help you work through it. Um, however, if you keep going to therapy week after week, month after the month, and all you can talk about is the latest or whatever is bothering you at the moment, mm-hmm. therapy is not doing its job. No. Because and it's not giving you the tools to work through that stuff. I remember the last time I went and saw a therapist. Actually, no, the last time I got a therapist, they were they just prescribed me pills anyway. The I went and saw a therapist. So I was married. And I was having problem with uh, my ADHD and depression and some other stuff. So I went to a therapist and during my intake procedure, I told him uh, he was, uh, I didn't go to a psychiatrist cause I didn't want drugs. I went to a, a, um, a psychologist or whatever, the ones that can't write drugs. And I told him at my intake, I don't want drugs. I want, I want a CBT, like cognitive behavioral behavioral therapy techniques. I want, you know, some things I can work on and I shit you not by the end of the first therapy session, you know, I can uh, put you, I can refer you to a psychiatrist that will give you drugs. Yeah. And I I literally had, I had one session with them and that was at the end of the session. I was like, fuck this. And I walked and I I never went back. So I have not. And then I went to, I had an, uh, I had an incident that really scared me. And I was like, all right, if I need drugs, I need drugs. So I went and I saw somebody and I took a couple of tests and he referred me to somebody that would prescribe me drugs. And I did my drugs. Uh, I got Adderall. I was on, um, actually I was on Adderall XR, the extended release stuff. Oh God. Yeah. And the funny thing is I went, I got prescribed a month worth of uh, so one pill a day so 30 pills Mm -hmm. and i what i ended up doing was and i forgot i don't remember the milligrams but i do remember it was close to the maximum i remember i wasn't taking them daily i was taking them every couple of days whenever i really needed them to work and i wasn't taking one i was taking two or three Mm. and I told the person that was prescribing me these things on my second month. I, Cause I had to go by once a month for a checkup and then they would, they would prescribe me. And I told them, I was like, yeah, I don't take them when I need them or I don't take them daily. I take them when I think I need them. And I told her that, and she literally wrote me three prescriptions. Wow. And they and were just- like, they were good for 30 days or something like that. Mm-hmm. I think I still actually, I think I still have the prescriptions. They're not good, but I think I still have the pads somewhere in my house. Jesus. I don't like, I don't like a lot of drugs. Uh, so, and again, this is, uh, I'm trying not to knock a lot of the people that are having issues, but a lot of people that are on Adderall and stuff like that, I don't feel the same way they do about it because when it, when I take Adderall, uh, or when I was taking Adderall, I didn't like the way it made me think. It fucked my mental process up. Yeah. I, I, I actually, in 05, uh, I was prescribed Adderall XR 
Um, mm-hmm. It was weird because they, it, it was like, they gave me the Adderall XR and then they gave me another drug that was based off of tryptophan. Um, uh, kind of, it, it was based off of that, but it was basically to help me go to sleep. Cause yeah. you know, Adderall, <laughs> you know, so if you take the wrong pill, you're going to be bright all night and stupid all day. And, but the problem with the Adderall for me is that I, I like my caffeine. I like and caffeine. I'm addicted to caffeine. Yeah, definitely. See, I took an Adderall and drank a Red Bull. I, I was doing the same fucking thing. So did you feel like your heart was going to jump out of your, your fucking chest? I mean, yeah, but I mean, so like I said, in my childhood, I was always hopped up on Ritalin. I was one of those 80s, 90s kids that were too hyper and shit. So I was always prescribed Ritalin. So I was used to that. I, I was used to that, that sensation of your heart beating mm-hmm. uh, and that, that whole. So when I took Adderall, that's not what bugged me. Like the heart beating thing, like uh, your adrenaline going up. Yeah, that, that was one thing. But that's not what bugged me. It was it, it what bugged me was the way it affected my cognition. Hmm. Yeah. So how, how you know, everybody so? likes everybody likes to joke about ADHD being attention deficit, you know, and da 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 squirrel. Yes and no. But it's more wandering, I guess. It, it, it's not like you're paying attention to something else, something, and then something else jumps out at you and you're like, squirrel. It's more, or at least in my case, it's more your mind wanders. I'm literally doing something like when I'm talking to you on these podcasts, I'm literally trying to fight to stay focused on this. And I have to put my phone away from me at times because I will do that. Um, but it's just your mind wandering. And like yeah. the entire title of this podcast, no segues. That's how my mind works. That's why we're talking and I'll jump to another subject because that's how my mind works. So when I was on, when I'm on Adderall or on, I'm on these uppers, it doesn't allow my mind to do that. And, but my mind somewhere knows, Hey, there's something else we were supposed to be thinking about or doing like it's just unnatural. And my brain recognizes it as being unnatural and it gives me anxiety. Yep. And I I have that same problem. I, I really do. Um, right. Like I, you can track all those different things you're thinking about and we can always come back and circle back like the Oberus. You know, we can always circle back, but when it's, when it's medically stimulated like that, my brain fights it. Yep. So it makes things worse. And I think with the heart rate, that's where your heart rate's coming from. That anxiety. It uh, could be. I just, I, I just felt so jittery and everything else. I stopped taking it. Now I will tell you, I found um, because I mean, I, in my, in, in a, in a, no, another life, I, I have been in my life, the worst kind of asshole that you can, that you could run across. I, I, I have been a complete dick to people. I'm currently my, transitioning out of that phase of my life. Well, Butrin. Oh yeah. I remember hearing about this stuff. Never had it. Wellbutrin is the fucking miracle drug in my life. And I'm going to tell you, Mel Drew, Wellbutrin is the reason that I am not divorced. Okay. Uh, Wellbutrin is the reason that I have not ended up following my brother's footsteps and ended up in jail. I'm fairly sure of that. Okay. Um, Wellbutrin is the reason I can go to sleep at night. 
Um, it is a miracle. I, I, I take, it's my anti-asshole pill. I take it twice a day and, and life is good okay. because, uh, shit doesn't pile up on me. And, and that's part of the problem with me, with me is that shit piles up on me and then I, and I bottle it. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then at some point I just can't take it anymore. And I explode. Now I'm not going to tell you that I don't get pissed off. Of course I do. Right. I got a much longer fuse today than I did even, you know, when I turned 40, um, mm-hmm. I started taking Wilbutrin at 35 and, um, uh, it, it's been, um, it, it, I can tell in the times that I have not taken it because I, you know, for instance, didn't have health insurance or anything like that. I know the difference. Right. I can feel the difference if that makes sense, you know, it does. Um, and, and like I said, I'm not trying to go on this like rant against mental health and, and, and drugs and stuff like that, because you're right. There, there are some very helpful ones out there, but the way we've kind of like the way we, you know, revere military personnel, we've got, we've, we've got this weird reverence for the mental health profession, which is funny because mental health is what I would consider one of the largest problems in America. Um, yeah. <laughs> and it's, we're not, even though it's a multi-billion dollar industry between therapy and drugs and self-help, we still have a problem. I can Mental point health. to, I can point to several mass shootings in the past four or five years that are indicative yeah. of that. Mental, mental health, the mental health is kind of like the Democrats. They're, they, they're great at talking about the problem. Not so good at doing anything about it. Yeah. Oh God, that was the other thing. That was the, the third tertiary thing that I was going to talk about with you. What? Um, uh, and, and I'm sure you're you're old enough to have gotten to seen this at least once or twice. Where you look at the news, or you look at politics, or there's certain things where you go, you know what? History doesn't repeat itself, but yeah, it sure as fuck rhymes. And you, I see people doing shit now that they complained about before. I mean, and that's, that's politics, right? You know, cause they all, they, they have the same playbook. They just change the color on the cover. Everyone's. Oh my God. This is reminding me so much. So I had a friend over a couple of nights, uh, a couple of nights ago and we were talking, uh, we were in YouTube came up and we were watching YouTube videos and I'm actually going to pull the tweet up right fucking now. Um, and I made this tweet because he brought the, you the church lady. Yes. From SNL. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so where's that? Hold on. Hold on. I'm going to find it. Uh, I have tweeted, by the way. So I took a social media diet, right? Right. But I, some reason I've spent a little bit more time on Twitter, but um, God damn it. Where's it? There it is. There's a sketch, the church lady sketch. If you want SNL, it's church chat with Satan. Okay. And, and I, hold on, I'll turn that off because you're in the background. And it, uh, God, there's two politicians on it and the devil. And you just watch them. And the first thing I thought with the first politician, and I don't remember who it was, well, the first thing I thought was Matt Gates. Yep. Looks like Matt Gates, talked like Matt Gates. And I forget who the other actors and characters were, but I watched the entire thing. I was like, you're right. Politics, because the tweet I made 
And let me see, where is that? The tweet I made is like, funny how politics never changes. Let's play a game. Name three current parallels shown in this sketch. Yeah. And that's, I'm going to have to go back. I'm going to have to go find that. Look, um, yeah, just look at the tweet. Watch it. I guarantee you, you will, Matt Gage is the first one I thought of. And I forgot the other two because, again, I was rather drunk when I was watching it. But, um, yeah, politics never changes. The only thing that changes are the names. And because they're, 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 they're still yelling at each other. We're still saying, yelling about the same shit we yelled about 40 years ago. Um, things are getting better, but they're not getting better in a comprehensive or a constructive way. It's just like a bunch of band-aids are being slapped on old wounds. Yes. And nothing ever gets solved because, well, you know, and that fights against my, my, my core belief that there are two kinds of people in the world, people that want the problem or people that want the solution. And um, <laughs> that's, that's going back to therapy every week for the problem du jour, uh, is that you don't want the solution. You want to continue to have the problem. You want the validation. Yeah. And you're there addicted you go. to it. So, I, but you, you see, you see over the course of time and, and I'm sure that, you know, like I said, I'm 50, I'm sure I'll see another cycle of this by the time I'm 60, 65 and really don't mm -hmm. give a fuck about anything. Um, that you see things happen again and you go, why didn't we learn that the last time? And you're, Oh, right. I remember why, because we don't actually want to have to deal with it. You know, because that means right. we actually have to do the work. It, we keep wanting to go, go with the therapy. Mm -hmm. There it is. Okay. <laughs> All right, we've been doing this for two hours. Yeah, that's hard. But you know, we get into this stuff, and it's it's um it it I I love the conversation. So you know. So do I. Like I said, it's it's just fun. So. So as uh, again, I'm realizing that you're on a social media diet, but you are still on Twitter of some sort. Your Twitter handle well, I'm, is I'm still on, I'm still on everything. So I mean, everything's the same. So Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. I'm not. I'm on LinkedIn, but this is not my LinkedIn handle. Uh, right. Just meme underscore of Matt. So yeah, cool. All right. And for all of our stuff uh, here, podcasts and everything else, you can go to chrisroley.com. And I am Chris Rowley on most places. I'm not on Facebook. I got rid of that shit uh, a while back and I don't plan on ever going back. So, But you are on LinkedIn. so <laughs> I'm on LinkedIn. So, um, hey, all you guys over at Rebel Base, hire me. And <laughs> <laughs> By the way, if they don't hire you, we can always start a pirate podcast network. We'll just keep with the theme. There you I, I love the idea. So cool. All right, Matt. Thanks a lot, man. I will Always see you pleasure. next time. Yeah. Bye. Bye.